Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's why it makes me mad when I take her out and I'll hear somebody say, look, there's Billy Casper there with his pet hawk. I could shout at him. It's not a pet, sir. Hawks are not pets. Or when folks stop me and say, is it tame? Is it heck tame? It's trained, that's all. It's fierce and it's wild and it's not bothered about anybody. Not even about me, right? And that's why it's great. (laughs) (laughs) That was Last of the Summer Wine by... (laughs) You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club podcast, uh, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Lloyd Shepherd, and you, Peter Alice. No, uh, Peter Alice. <laughs> presented by me, Lloyd Shepherd, and you, Tim Wright. I wish you'd take my audition seriously. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Wright. We'll call you. I don't know what you're auditioning for. Oh, um, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? I could have been Billy Casper. Well, when you it was told like me, he was in the room. When you told me you were going to read that, I did point out that that's a very famous scene in the film. Yes, which is they don't do it very well. <laughs> David Bradley is, is I thought I could improve it. And Colin Welland is listening to him in the background, and it's very, 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 very powerful. Now we're we're doing Kestrel for Renee. We are doing by Barry Hive. If you hadn't noticed, if you hadn't noticed, the second we're this is our second uh, part of our Kestrel for Renee adventure. Yeah. We left you um, in a playing field in Hoyland Common. Well, we left ourselves in a playing field in Hoyland Common. You left me. Yeah, that's true. Right? You were about to leave yeah. me anyway. Well, You'd had enough. I was had enough by that point. <laughs> and uh, so th- in this I'm feeling episode, tired and emotional, Tim, and hungry. In this episode, we're going to try and make sense of Hoyland Common. Yes. Uh, as it might might have been for Billy Casper. Yes. And the obvious place to start, where we should have started right from the beginning... Is the school. Is the school. So we're going to go to the school, we're going to go to the fish and chip shop, we're going to go to the cinema, which is at the end of the book. Yeah. He breaks into a derelict cinema and remembers going there with his dad. Yeah. And we think we found that cinema we, as well. So no, we did find something. Which has now got a like grocers in the front yeah. of it no it's encouraging this part two is encouraging we we actually started to find things we did rather than just wander around we did there was quite a lot of wandering around it the first time yeah to get to good you've got to go through this is a bit boring haven't you <laughs> in our case yes yes <laughs> the cold caught Billy's breath as he stepped outside he stopped dead glanced around as though looking to escape then set off full belt shouting across the concrete onto the field Mr Sugden set off after him Casper, shut up, lad. What are you trying to do? Disrupt the whole school? He gained on Billy, and as he drew near, swiped at him with his flat hand. Billy, watching the blows, zigzagged out of reach just ahead of them. I'm frozen, sir. I'm shouting to keep warm. Well, don't shout at me, then. I'm not a mile away. They were shouting at each other as though they were aboard ship in a gale. Mr Sugden tried to swat him again. Billy sidestepped and threw him off balance, so he slowed to a walk and turned round blowing his whistle and beckoning the others to hurry up. Come on, you lot! Hurry up! <laughs> that is this is best. the immortal Mr Sugden, <laughs> uh, as, as played memorably by Brian Glover in the movie of Kez. So this is the uh, infamous uh, Manchester United versus Spurs football match. Fifth round. Fifth round of the FA Cup. <laughs> I'll um, be, what did you say? He said something about uh, uh, Bobby Charlton. I'll be Bobby Charlton. I've got my number seven. With Dennis Law's in the wash. Yeah. <laughs> Um, That's great. 
and, it's uh, such a great set piece it's a fantastic great it's, it just goes on about how what an awful person Mr Sugden is but it's very weird that we are in Yorkshire and Mr Sugden is obviously a Manchester United fan yeah and then when the other team has to be se- selected he picks Spurs which is a London team yeah but we're, we're sort of smack, smack playing in the middle between Leeds United north of us and Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday south of us he doesn't doesn't pick him doesn't go to them at all doesn't pick him it's Interesting, very strange isn't it? It's very strange. We should say where we are, of course. We're at um, so we're at the school. We're at the Kirk Bulk Academy, right? Uh, and we're looking out at On their, their magnificent fields. sports ground. Yeah. If you've ever had had a child go to a South London school like mine, you'll think it's you, quite. You, you'll be amazed to see a place quite plush. like this. <laughs> They've got a grass running track. They've, yeah, and several a, sports football a, fields, a cricket pitch. It's, it's like proper. a private school. It's proper, yeah. Now, interestingly, this was, before it was the academy, it was Kirk Bork Comprehensive. Right. And before that, it was Kirk Bork Secondary Modern. So we're pretty All sure. All on the same site. We're pretty sure that's the school that Billy goes to. Well, it, yeah, the, not only is it the, the school that Billy Casper went to, it, it's the school that Barry Hines taught at. Oh, okay. My first school, this is from a really good blog called countryforoldmen.blogspot.com. And Barry says, my first school was Hoyland Common Primary near Barnsley. Yeah. And then he says, most of my friends then went to Kirk Bork Secondary just up the road. But I passed the 11 plus. For a lot of children, that was the parting of the ways. But I wasn't an academic boy and I was very good at sport. So that kept me in touch with my friends. I'd be up the wreck with them at half past four playing football so I was one of them right he actually went to Ecclesfield Grammar School for Boys which yeah. was a ten mile round trip by bus and he says he struggled all the time he didn't enjoy it at all so, so he would have walked out to play football with his secondary with his modern mates. mates yeah okay and then he would have heard all the stories about what goes on at a secondary modern yeah and then he comes back here aged 24 mm-hmm. in 1963. Okay. He's married and teaching PE and a bit of English. So he's Mr. Sugden. <laughs> he is Mr. Sugden. <laughs> Funny, eh? At Kurt Balk. He says that he recalled that when his schoolmates, including his brother, who was an 11 plus failure, had attended the secondary modern, the head teacher had been Ben Roby, who would be his model for Mr. Grice. He recalled a monster, right? Yeah. I mean, he Grice said, is an absolute monster. He says, There were legendary stories about Ben, and they all seemed wild and exciting. There's an episode in Kez where a lad gets caned for taking a message to the head teacher. Yeah. That's what happened with Ben. A teacher sent a lad along who'd done some good work, but Ben was so used to seeing boys who needed caning, he just said, Come in, and caned him. Oh, <laughs> God. It's terrible, oh, isn't it? Oh, my God. What makes this good as well is it says the playing fields has a sort of curve round and the houses follow the it curve. Does. They do describe. exactly that. Yeah. So this will have been where Barry Hines played footy and taught um, PE. And um, this, of course, is he was teaching on the same staff as Brian Glover. He was when they were casting the film. And then he came up to he came up and said, Brian asked me, "Is there a part for me in this film?" He'd been taking part in classroom readings and he'd come into the staff room to tell us, I've been playing Captain Quig in Mutiny on the Bounty and they applauded me out of the classroom. <laughs> man full of confidence, yeah. it oh has man. to be said. Oh man. Charlie Glover's gym. My father, Charlie Glover. He always had a gym in Barnsley. He used to be a boxer and then a wrestler. He taught me to wrestle. This is no suntan and sweatshop. No sauna palace, this. It's a real sweatshop. There'll be more blood on this floor than a pork butcher's floor. There's one of these in every northern town at one time. There's only a few left now. We've got one here in Barnsley. And it's a good gym, this. Produce some real fighters. A couple of good lads here as well. I love Brian Glover. He was also a professional wrestler. I started sending, I sent you a link you to him, him wrestling. <laughs> what was his wrestling name? Uh, this is so funny. It's so funny. It's, uh, he basically, so he's born in, he's born in Sheffield. He attends Barnsley Grammar School and you know, he's proper northern. But he appears as a professional wrestler going under the ring name Leon Arras, the man <laughs> from Paris. 
Is that, does that work better if you say it in a Yorkshire accent? Leon Harris, the, the man from, from Paris. Paris. It does. He, he adopted that name from a wrestler who didn't turn up to a match one night, for um. whom Glover stood in. So there's another Leon Harris out there. His wrestling style incorporated a lot of comedy, including the catchphrases, ask him ref, and <laughs> how about that then? How about that then? He does that a lot in that video I showed you. If you go on YouTube and search yeah. for Leon Harris, yeah. you can see some really great old school British wrestling. If you're not, if you're not from Britain... <laughs> And you well, watch if you're an say, American, if you're an American who follows, who has ever watched World Wrestling Foundation yeah. and all those kind of and things, and you see this stuff from the seventies, watch, watch the stuff, the stuff where the, the English you would version. Be just thinking, what is going on, <laughs> and why is this a thing? It was on ITV Saturday afternoons. It's so good. I yeah. watched quite a lot of it. In the end, yeah. it was very nostalgic for me. Yeah. I used to watch quite a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So we need to talk about schools. We do, um, in order because I think it's very hard to understand this book really if you don't understand what drove it about the eleven plus and what's happening to a Billy Casper. They talk about the fact that the careers officer is coming. Or the employment, what's he called? The employment advice uh, something. Employment advice officer, yeah. And that basically they say the Easter leavers are going to have to talk. Yeah. And, he, and he's he's an Easter leaver, age well, 15. Well, the first thing is you could say is that you could you could leave school at 15 yeah. in the 60s. They had actually only recently raised it from 14 in the 50s. Mm. Um, but then the other thing that's worth saying, I think this is a thing that Barry Hines is actually writing about, is the way the system is designed to provide kind of fodder for the industrial sector yeah. principally mining obviously in in, uh, in Hoyland because what the 11 plus did was you took an exam aged 11 and if you passed the exam you went to grammar school which is uh, obviously so a selective system yeah um, and it was from grammar school that you know people talk kind of stupendously nostalgically about grammar schools because there are you know quite a lot of examples of they're coming back quite a lot of examples of you know people who did well out of them right including Barry Hines but so you know lots of lots of other young men and, and some women who, who went through the grammar school system and, and did very well what they don't talk about so much is what happens to everybody else so if you didn't pass the exam you went to what's called a secondary modern and secondary moderns, you know, typically people started to call them sink schools. It was yeah, where parents got the message about that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it was the school where you went to, where you were really not expected to gain any academic qualifications. You just you were just there to kind of fill your time, uh, and then take a job. I mean, in 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 Hoyland's case, down the mine. It does boil my bubble this one. I mean, because it's like. The fact that we still talk about doing that, I mean, it's still it's still the system. In I, I grew up in Kent. It was the system where I grew up. So I had two younger brothers. I passed 11 plus and my middle brother passed 11 plus and we both went to good schools as a result of that. My younger brother didn't. He failed his 11 plus and went oh. to the local secondary modern and had just had a, you know, a really grim time at school, you know, really? there were, you know, lots of, it was pretty violent and it was pretty, you know, the, but it was a, just a general air of kind of hopelessness about the place that was just like, you know, everyone's filling in their time before they go off and do something else. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people want to bring this back just fills me with I mean, rage, really. I mean, it just seems extraordinary that you would write off, because all the advantages, right? I mean, in, in a world where, you know, middle-class families can afford tuition and coaching and all this kind of stuff, you know, all it's going to mean is that people with well-heeled families are going to get into the grammar schools and people without families who are invested in education already aren't. Yes. So we're back to where we were. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, Barry Hines has been, was writing about this in the 60s and we're talking, actively talking about bringing these bloody things back. It drives me... Anyway, I should get off my own horse. <laughs> but I think it's outrageous. Wow! Wow! Okay, no, no. sorry. No, that's good. For a, a slightly calmer assessment, yeah, I found on the London Review of Books site a really good article by Ross McKibben, and it's called "An Element of Unfairness," and it does a, a really great job of doing a little potted history. Because yeah. of course there were there were meant to be three types of school. They weren't meant to be just grammar schools and secondary modules. They were meant to be um, technical schools. Technical schools, yeah. For those of a practical turn of mind, or yeah. you know, with superior technical aptitudes, yeah. but they were left to die, allowed to die, largely because they were too expensive. And what emerged was a bipartite system. It says here, those who passed the eleven plus went to grammar schools; those who didn't, to secondary moderns. To parents ambitious for their children, but who could not afford private education, failure in the eleven plus was about a greater disaster as could befall a family. Absolutely, yeah. that's absolutely right. That sense of despair in the household when, you know, because it's like a fork in the road at 11. Yeah, which is shocking, isn't it? 
just is shocking. What has interested me, this book came out in 68. It was actually a Labour government got into power in 1964. Yeah, Harold Wilson. And, and passed an act t- t- to start the comprehensive system mm. and get rid of this system. So by 68, quite a lot of the secondary moderns had been turned into comprehensives yeah. already. So the movement was had changed. I fear this book is forcing us to show our political allegiances rather more than we normally do. Well, but, again, uh, we're just we're just just the facts, no opinions. I mean, I'm I, you know, I went to a very different kind of education. I had no idea about any of this stuff. It was all web, <laughs> you know, all beneath me. Didn't know, didn't even notice. Didn't even know the going. Right. On. No, you look at the 11 plus. The 11 plus is, is 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 a system designed to perpetuate the middle classes. That's what it's there for. Oh, hello. Uh, I don't know where to go from that. Well, let's that go was, to the that cinema. Was, that was a bit heavy. Yeah, did. Let's go to the cinema. Let's go to the cinema. Go and yeah, see a film. It's nineteen sixty-eight. Hopefully, they'll be playing if. Oh, is that sixty-eight? <laughs> oh, nice one. Houses and shops, flats above shops, a new public house centred on its own car park, old public houses terraced and at street ends, a garage, a tin chapel, a children's playground, the gates locked. Behind the railings, the paddling pool still drained from the winter. A row of derelict houses, and next to them, standing back from the road, a derelict cinema. Billy glanced at it as he passed, then stopped and turned back and stood before it. So we're standing down the side of the Princess Theatre in, uh, well, it's actually Hoyland Nether, it's called, if you just realised. Hoyland Nether. Hoyland Nether Working Men's Club. It's a Boys lower Hoyland, really, I suppose you'd call it. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful old sort of block of a cinema from, I don't know, when was it built? Do we know? 1920s, 1930s? I did find a website about it. I've run out of battery power uh, okay. in my phone, so I can't look on the internet right now. But, but I have uh, got a website that I will be putting into the show notes. It's closed now with a bunch of bricked up windows. It's a family shop. A, a family shop attached to the front with a subway. Um, um, but what I did re- what I did remember about the website was that it was a cinema until 1962. Oh, okay. And then it's not listed in 1963 as having anything showing. Okay. So he describes it as derelict, doesn't he? Well, he breaks in, doesn't he, as well through he a window? Via, up, well, you just reenacted that. Well, they bricked up the windows here, but they're very obviously here, aren't they? Well, it's because podcasters keep trying to break in. <laughs> That was asked by the, the guy outside. That was a suspicious-looking man. Can I help you? You're looking for something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking, looking for the derelict cinema and can't get it for a name. Yeah, I'm Do you know where it is? <laughs> I'm looking to break into your shop, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... I've obviously ostentatiously walked all the way around your building in front of you <laughs> and showed you my face and come and spoke to you. Here's my card. I'm the world's worst burglar. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but it's rather sad, isn't it, because he, Billy reminisces about his father taking him to the uh, cinema. That's right. He, he's, suddenly his father appears. I'm not that keen on this scene, I have to you say. You think it's a bit mawkish? It should end on when he has a fight with his brother over with the, dead, the, dead, with the dead, dead bird. bird yeah. And then he just falls on his bed and goes to sleep. Yeah. And tomorrow will be another day in the life. But then there's a sort of epilogue, isn't there? Yeah, and it's sort of meant to sort of explain his unhappiness a bit, the absence of his father and the unfaithfulness of his mother and yeah. Uncle Mike, dodgy Uncle Mike. Dodgy Uncle Mike. And so it sort of gives a sociological and psychological meaning to his unhappiness, which I don't think, I don't really buy. You like having your unhappiness unexplained? Well, just to be life. <laughs> just <laughs> and especially at that age, going to school, being told what to do by your teachers and your parents. Yeah. And I know what you mean because it's like it's not like he hasn't got enough to be unhappy about without um, you know a, a, a more backstory. I don't need any of that. Yeah. The section I read, of course, has a whole load of list of things we should be looking for. I we, saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet your heart sunk a bit, didn't it? Because you're well, thinking we're not oh, doing it now. I'm oh telling God, you I'm really tired. <laughs> I want to go home. I'm driving home. And then this guy's going to make me stay for another no, no, hour. You, you can based stay based on this. No, you can stay. <laughs> I'm very happy to drive home on my own. I mean, listen to this. He says, he passed the recreation ground, dimly lit by the lights and the traffic of the city road. Yeah. He passed the school and its deserted fields. Okay, we've got that, yeah. Yeah. The infant school and the primary school situated at opposite sides of the estate. He passed the betting office and the parade of shops at the end of that street, the fish and chip shop, the co-op, the butchers, the futurers, the hairdressers and the grocers. And identically designed shops on other corners of other streets, all shut, their windows dark. Look, he's just walking around the whole estate. I know. But we could, we could walk around the whole estate. Yeah, well, 
you know what? I'll see you. I'm gonna I'm gonna head back <laughs> to London now. The whole estate, and we're, look, I'm gonna a, head back to London now. There's, you a, enjoy, you there's enjoy, a new public house centered on its own car park and some old public houses. Yeah, well, you know, you just fill your boots, man. But books have more than just a top level and a secondary level. It's more complicated than that. Stories can have lots of different levels of meaning, can discuss many different problems in many different ways all at the same time. Writers are often concerned with using these different levels to argue a case, to put over their point of view and try to change the reader's mind, change the reader's ideas. Here's Barry Hines. I would, I would hope so. I would hope I'll be able to sort of shift, somebody, you know, shift somebody's point of view in, uh, with, with, what, with what I write. Um, there is that aim in it. I mean, I want it to be enlightening, but, but, but entertaining. I think the entertainment side is... It's got to be entertaining first. I think the, the reader, or if it's a play that the viewer wants to be... Know, what's going to happen next? Where's it going to go? And I think that it's... But then underpinning all that personal side, there's got to be something much deeper. Well, really, it's with, with, with my books. I mean, it's becoming more and more so. It's I'm writing from political motivation. See, well, I think with Kess, the teachers can always f blame it on individuals rather than any system. They can say, if you'd, ah, but if you'd have come from um, a loving home, if, uh, if you'd have gone to a better school, if the teacher hadn't been so awful, then he would have got a job as an apprentice. Whereas, I mean, there'd be a lot of lads who were in Billy Casper's class who've come from decent homes um, and are not as badly treated as he was, but they'll still be on the dole like he will be at 16. And so there are a lot of escape hatches in that book, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's popular. Toy traffic travelled along the city road, and across the road, in the valley bottom, was the sprawl of the estate. Towards the city, a pit chimney and the pit head winding gear showed above the rooftops, and at the back of the estate was a patchwork of fields, black and grey and pale winter green, giving way to a wood which stood out on the far slope as clear as an ink blot. Mm. So we come to the tricky moment where we try and talk about locating Billy Casper's house. Well, at, at a level of detail and specificity that uh, we, we demand. Well, if he wants a high mark, require. if he wants a high Q-spec rating, this is fundamental. Yeah, so we know mind. it's Hoyland Common. And he's quite, he's obviously, he's into a competitive sport. He, he'll yeah. want to win this, Barry. He will, he'll want to win it. He'll want to, he'll want to yeah. do well. He'll want to, he'll want to get a it. result. Yeah. He'll want to get past so the fifth he, round. So how's he done? Hmm... <laughs> The mm. first thing to note was that we, we've already talked about how this place has changed so much. And I think it was just a bit of a shock when we got there to just see bulldozers everywhere in lorries. And that was the because the first thing we did was to walk out towards the monastery yeah, wall. Yeah, so that, that made no, but, it. But also we felt quite cheery at that point because although the, we'd had to walk a long way round to get round the yeah. bloody construction works, the actual monastery wall was so inspiring and Yeah, and we real. thought it was going to be a good day. It was going to be like that all day. But no. But no. Now, the issue is, so then obviously what we should have done is gone a bit more prepared yeah. with maps from the period. From the 60s. So we love that site. Is it the National Library National of Scotland? National Library of Scotland, yeah. Has got OS maps yeah. coming out of its ears. I'm and not sure very how searchable. the Ordnance Survey feels about this, but they have got a lot of Ordnance They're really good. Yeah. If you want to find a, a sort of street map of a place from the period that you're looking for, yeah. It's the place to go, yeah. listener. And Hoyland is served quite well. There's a, one from 1956, another one from 62, I think, another one from 67. It's good. It's, it's, so there's it's plenty to look at. Yeah. And you realise, of course, that the estate that he's talking about has sprawled again. Yeah. It, it must have sprawled in the intervening period as well. So when you look on it, um, it's a lot smaller than it is now. Sure. The great section of this book that helps out a lot is that at the beginning he goes on a newspaper delivery he round. To, Judd takes his bike, doesn't he? He nicks his bike to go to the pit, so he has to make his own way on foot to That's the right. news agents. So this walk, I was trying to work this walk out. It was <laughs> bending my head. So in his house, he's got two things that he can do. He vaults the front wall and races up the avenue when he's going towards the news agent. But he's got a back kitchen door at the back and a garden with a shed where he keeps the kestrel yeah. and a low fence. And he can jump straight out of that and then be in the fields yeah. just across the road. So, so he's got, backing if, onto the fields. If you've got kind of concentric roads going out on this estate, he's on the outer, outer, he's got to be, outer rim. He's got to be on the outer rim, right? Yeah. Uh, but he's also got to have a house where the backyard doesn't immediately then go into the 
back garden of another house, mm. that it comes out onto the road and into the field. Mm-hmm. And there aren't that many of them. No. So I think I've found a good candidate, oh, nice. which I'm prepared to share with Patreon viewers. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pay up. I've done a lot of bloody work for this. <laughs> I, want, I want some money. Wow, okay. So you're a casual <laughs> podcast listener. No, they're not getting it. All right. But I'm just, if you want to look at the maps and I give you that clue, I say if you find a house where you can jump out the back straight into the field, but you also then can jump out the front and go in the avenue towards the newsagents, where, what could that be? Yeah. It does, I'm not saying it even really works. You do know, of course, that he gives the address of this house, don't you? He does. It's 124 Woods Avenue yeah. in the book. There is no Woods Avenue. No, well, the other he also mentions a road called Furs Hill, which doesn't exist. And he also mentions Shallow Bank Crescent yeah. that doesn't exist either. Yeah. So you'll see from my, my, my little notebook, I've, I've done it so that if I just follow his instructions, say I go up an avenue and I find a playing field and then I cut through and I go across to a newsagent and I go away from the city and then up a big hill and then there's a T-junction. Yeah. And then I try and make that. And then below me, there's a sprawl of the estate, the coal mine, fields, a wood. Yeah. Where am I on the yeah, map? Yeah. I cannot quite make sense of this. Okay. I'm, what looking, I do I'm th- looking at quite a nice little map on there. It's, you know, yeah. It's quite well drawn, although it's obviously a sign I'll of do a, a... I'll do a neat Also one. the sign of a deeply deranged mind. I'll be writing a quite a lengthy post about this with some drawings and maps. For Patreon subscribers well, only. as I say, because it's going to take me a little bit of time to put this together. I might have yeah. to publish this as a paper as part of my PhD or something. It's quite, <laughs> you know, it's quite a long, long thing. Anyway, because we said that there was a moment that um, in the documentary where somebody says, oh, it's very specific. Uh, the, the great thing about this book is very... Jarvis deep. Cocker says... Jarvis Cocker says... He's asked why does this book kind of still resonate and why does it still work and why do people who live in North America find it something they want to read? Yeah. And he says there's something very powerful about a highly specific narrative and story and location makes it somehow more general, more generalist. Yeah. Yeah. That, if only that were true. <laughs> I know why it speaks to a northerner, but why does it speak to other people? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I think it's something to do with if you tell a story in a, in a specific enough way, people then realise that there's something genuine about it, there's something real about it, because you could only really pick up on those details if you'd lived that kind of experience. In a weird way, the more specific you make it, it then that opens it up into like a universal thing. I don't know. All my creative career has been dedicated to trying to work out how that works. Right. Because I really think it's true. If you, if you get the details of stuff right, suddenly it, it clicks for people and they say, oh, yeah, this is real and I'm going to take notice of it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've got a couple of things I want to sort of talk about. One is football and one is motorways. Oh, okay. Gosh, what a surprise. Yeah. What a surprise that you so, would want to talk about football Manchester and United motorways. and motorways. So, yeah, <laughs> again, the teacher talks about, the teacher talks about having his, his Dennis Law top is in the wash. Yes. So he's wearing Bobby Charlton. When they hold the, the football match up on the playing fields, the teacher says, well, we're going to be Manchester United. Which team are you going to be? Yes. Uh, and they say, we're going to, we'll be Tottenham Hotspur. So it doesn't help us very much, though. Dennis, I mean, Bobby Charlton was at Manchester United from about, 1820 to 2005. <laughs> so it doesn't really help you with saying Bobby Charlton's there. But Dennis Law was at Manchester United for a long time. 1962 to 1973, he was at United. He, not only does he make a gag saying, oh, my Dennis Law's in the wash. Yeah. But he says, Dennis Law is badly off form at the moment. Oh, yes. Okay. That set of hair running for me is when, when was Dennis Law badly off form? Yeah. He didn't have a great season in 65, 66 because he had an injury. Okay. I mean, he didn't have a great season his first season back in 62, to mm-hmm. be honest. I was interested in this, that in December 62, he claimed that an incident had repercussions for him when referee Gilbert Pullen consistently goaded Law with taunts such as, oh, you're clever so-and-so, you can't play. <laughs> and after the match, Law and his manager, Matt Busby, reported the matter to the Football Association. Oh, wow. A disciplinary committee decided that Pullen should be severely censored. Wow. But he did not accept their verdict and quit the game. Law later claimed that in the eyes of some referees, I was a marked man and blamed the incident for the staggeringly heavy punishments that he received later in his career. Wow, Okay. So that might be something to do with it. That is quite good. I think no mention of George Best means it's got to be pre-Best. Yeah, you would pick George Best as the shirt you were going to put on. Right, but Best... Best started playing for United in 64? Yeah, but he didn't really... Didn't break through break until through 66, till, yeah, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's so, good. So maybe we're narrowing down in. a little bit. Yeah, we're getting there. To narrow down a little bit further and yes. sort of confirming your hypothesis, I would on, say, then. is the motorway. One of the things you realise when you go to Hoyland is it's right next to the M1. And the M1 is obviously Britain's... You'll hear it. ...original and arguably best, although I'm pulling for the M6, uh, motorway. The thing about that is he doesn't mention it in the book. There's no mention of the M1. It's not there. There's no traffic noise. There's no nothing at, at no. all. The odd thing about that is the M1 was being extended from rugby in the south yeah. to Leeds, 65 to 68. Oh. So it was creeping northwards all the time. The Tankersley North Junction, I'm just looking this on. Which is the, right by Hoyland. Which is right by Hoyland. Roads.org.uk, which is the amazing site that sort of lists the chronology. So the Tankersley to Dalton section, which is Junction 36 to Junction 38, opened in September 1968. So they were building it all the way through that period of time. Okay. Now, a couple of things to say about that is, even if it hadn't opened yet, they would have, the works would have been there for yeah, yeah. years before it actually opened. But obviously the traffic noise wouldn't have been anything like that. So I'm kind of thinking that's sort of an end point, say September 1968. I mean, the book came out in 68. But the fact that he doesn't even mention these things happening in the beginning pushes, the it, pushes it for, further, further back. The earlier we can get into that time frame, the better, I would say. Right, so uh, this is good. We're homing in. Yeah. There are basically two periods of time in which this book works. One is uh, uh, summer where Billy finds the kestrel and yeah. climbs the wall and takes it home. And it's very clear that that's a Saturday night, Sunday morning, because he's not at school. He bunks off in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then the rest of the book is one day, isn't it, yeah. basically? The next year, yeah. we think probably February, March time. Yeah. The school thing's interesting mm. because when I look back at the, the school that's there, Kirk Bulk, I found on an academic site, it says the school has developed from an amalgamation of two single-sex secondary schools in 1964 oh. and the introduction of comprehensive entry in 1966. Right. So this is a boys' school. He doesn't mention girls at all, does he? No. So it's a boys' school. It's interesting yeah. that the, the secondary modern thing's been sorted by the time yeah. the book comes out, in yeah. his in, only in his town. Yeah. So we've got a problem there, yeah. I think, about the fact that the school is... It, it has to be pre-64 yeah. for it to kind of work. Um, well, not a problem. I mean, not really a problem with the other stuff we've said, because you've you still got Dennis Law, Bobby Charlton, 
Um, We've always called M1. Dennis Law. Yeah. <laughs> we'll always have Dennis Law. And the M1. And the well, M1. The great, the great, the, the great trilogy. trilogy. The, 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 the three pillars on which modern society rests. Yeah, I don't know why they bother with the George they, Bush they, would, they might as well have just a little representation of the M1. So 63 would work, 64 would work, and 62 would work. Yes. Now, Actually, now we get into the, my usual nonsense, which is that he mentions that on the Saturday night that he goes to get the hawk, that the moon is almost complete. Oh, here we go. It's, it's a the, blur it's, it's, on the waxing curve. This is why we call him at Moon Golfer <laughs> on Twitter, everyone. A blur on the waxing curve. Okay. <laughs> so I'm afraid... <laughs> We need to look at our, consult our moon charts. Yes, which obviously Barry Hines in his flattened <laughs> Elba. Forgot, he forgot them his as well, flattened Elba, he? He, he, had the, he, <laughs> he took them with him. Them. Don't they have moon charts in Elba? No. That's what you'd say to him. <laughs> Napoleon would have had a moon chart. You daft apeth. <laughs> Napoleon would definitely have had a moon chart. <laughs> anyway, moon phase calendar for 65 is good mm. because the moon is waxing gibbous. Or gibbous, yeah. On Saturday, the June the twelfth, and it's a full moon on Monday, the June the fourteenth. But then the other thing is, then we go to the moon phase calendar for nineteen sixty two. Waxing gibbous on Saturday, June the sixteenth. Right. Full moon on the Monday. So, so I'm saying because of the moon, it's either that summer is either the summer of sixty two or the summer of sixty five. Right. I like. I like 62, although Dennis Law's... What time of year did he move to? In the uh, summer. In the summer. So he so would be 63. He would have been a new player in yeah. in February 63. Yes. Yeah. Which is why he's got the shirt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Bobby Shannon's already an established Manchester so United player. Not bad, is it? I think it kind of makes... It I makes, quite like that. Yes, I quite like that too. And and also, you know all that stuff the headmaster says about you young people with your superficial cars and rock and roll and stuff? Yeah. That fits absolutely... That's kicking in. off, Do you remember we did the file? And we were talking about it coming out in 1962. Yeah. And that was the moment when... Rock, when, Everything when, changed when youth culture exploded. And he doesn't mention rock and roll in the Chris file at all, does he? It's all jazz. It's all jazz. But he, but we discovered that basically everybody who was hip, yeah, was coming out of a door somewhere yeah. in Soho, weren't yeah. they? At that point, absolutely. Well, sixty-two, sixty-three. You're a, that's Beatles Ground Zero, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So that would be that the people, yeah. the young people, are growing their hair. They're getting a bit of attitude on. They think they know everything. Yeah, they need a clip round here. Yeah. That's what they need. Yeah, that they is the a, that is the language, isn't it? So I'm going to say that Billy Casper found Kez yeah. on Saturday, June the sixteenth, nineteen sixty-two. I'm having it. Thank you very much. He was only a skinny little whippet of a boy, you know. And when you looked at me, you thought, "Blimey, where is he? How can he play?" Well, after you had seen him playing, John, at fifteen years of age. Then you realised that here was something unusual. It's debatable if anybody was better than him. He was a brilliant player. Maybe Lawton could get up higher because he was a bigger man. Uh, but all the rest of the, the tricks, the cunning tricks and the tricks that would cause trouble, Law knew them. He knew them when he was a boy. The fish and chip shop was one of a parade of shops at the end of the street. It stood next to the co-op, which curved round the corner and bore the first number of the next road to Cooperative Road. Fish, F. Hartley, chips, a letter, a tile stretching the length of the premises, a link of green letters between the shop and the upstairs flat. Right, we've got a problem there. Yeah. No upstairs flat. No. Unless... I don't, I don't reckon he's been in there for all that. I don't reckon he's moved, though, that this chip shop. OK, so we're at Casper's Fish and Chip Shop. Which is the Fish and Chip Shop in the movie, right? Yes, it is in the mo- movie. And, boy, are they trying to sell it in there. They've got lots of pictures. Lots of pictures of, of From the film. Signed by the actor. By David Bradley. They're milking it as much as they can. And it's just around the corner from where um, Barry Hines' house was. Yes, very much so, yeah. So um, Barry would have bought his chips in there. That's right, he probably would have done yeah, but the point is that he's that moment when he's decided that he's going to steal his brother. He's got Judge two guineas, isn't he? Yeah, and instead of putting them on the horses, he's decided he's going to he's keep going, it. He's going to keep it and go and get some fish and chips. That turns out to be a very bad mistake. Yeah, uh, a bob worth of chips and a fish is what he asked for, mm-hmm. and he has scrap. Can I have some scraps, Missus? Yeah, she, she gives him extra chips as well, doesn't she? 
Yes. But he talks about how he gets there from the bookies at some point. Actually, what he does, he then goes round the corner, past the co-op, and goes to George Beale, family butcher. There is a butcher's down there, there actually. There is, yep. And gets a quarter of beef for, his, for the bird. So he spends some money on that as well. Yep. And then on that shop front, there's a fruiterer's, apples wrapped in purple papers, the hairdresser's, cardboard smilers, newly permed, the high-class grocer at the end, and he bought ten em- embassy and a box of matches there. Not oh. at the co-op, then? No. It's the high-class grocer instead. Well, because he's spending his money, isn't he? And then he goes back to school. He finished it just before he reached the gates. That would work. So he goes up, back up the Hoyland Road that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's up to school. Yeah. So it's, maybe it's roughly right, then. It's not just that it's the only chippy in town. It's roughly right. No, unless there's... I mean, there were, there were shops up by the school as well, weren't there? Yeah, there were. There so were. it could be one of those. Anyway, the main point is you got your fish and chips, didn't you? I don't really care. I'm feeling curiously unspecific right now about anything to do with this book. I'm eating... The, this is a very acceptable portion of fish and chips, I would say. OK. It's got just the right amount of grease. Yeah. The fish is relatively fresh. Mm. He's put lots of salt vinegar on it. Nothing to complain about. So we're we going to do a food podcast instead. Fish and chip review with well, Lloyd. We could do a food in books podcast. <laughs> Re- reenacting meals from famous books. Which one would you do first? <laughs> Which book would I do first? Yeah. Uh, that's um, got a great I meal do, in I it. I do this one again. <laughs> every, every week. <laughs> you do this every week. And this week we're doing Kaz. <laughs> We love this book, right? Oh, do you know what? I really do love this book. Mm. Yeah, I know we didn't talk about rating and everything else, but I think the thing I would take away from it, and part, you know, having been there, I mean, I know I, I know I became impatient, hungry, and tired towards <laughs> the end of the day, but actually finding the location of the monastery wall, walking around that hall and commonplace, but then also learning more about Barry Hines and where he came from and why why he wrote what he did. Got a lot more respect for him, I think. Yeah, yeah just I mean, he's mm. a proper, proper artist. There were some kids hanging around a bus stop near the cinema. There were who was still spot on. Yeah, uh, Billy Casper's yeah. jumping around, thumping each other, waiting for a bus, <laughs> laughing a lot. The main difference, however, of course, was there were plenty of girls there as well in football shirts as well. There were, yeah, there's there's no, no, there's no girls in this book at all, are there? There's only one. It's only the mum. There's only one female, and character, she's treated so. quite badly. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's not the, on that score. Not, oh, it's of its time, I suppose. Yeah. So we're going to give it a rating. We're going to give it two ratings. We're going to give it an artistic merit. Yes, as, as an English teacher in the class, yeah. everyone has to have a mark. Yeah, and we're going to give it a, a rating for how... And if he gets a low rating... Curiously specific it is. About. If he gets a low rating, then he goes to the secondary modern pile Absolutely. of yeah, writers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. if he gets a high rating, goes to the grammar school pile of writers. Overall or just on artistic merit? Are you worried about his curiously specific, <laughs> well, we'll specific rating? <laughs> we'll get to you that. You have to go to the secondary modern college for <laughs> map reading. and. Uh, well, you should have gone to the technical college. So on artistic merit, I was thinking about this on the way here, and I kind of I kind of want to give it a 10 because it's just – I just don't think it's improvable. Mm. I mean, because it's – A, it's short. Mm. You get a big tick for being short. Mm. And it just, it's just a real – I mean, I think it was a big Hemingway admirer, wasn't he? And I can kind yeah, of, you can you feel kind that see a bit, that. yeah. If you're an editor, you get that in your as a manuscript. What notes are you giving? You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I can't see what you give one. So I think I, pro- I, mean, I haven't uh, given uh, the ten yet. Put more women in it. Put more women in it now today. Obviously, yeah. Of course, you would say that. Of course, you would say that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and give it a ten. I think. Good on you. Good on you. I'm gonna go nine. I yeah. gave Gwendolyn Riley a nine. The only reason I'm not giving this a ten is uh, I read an interview again with Barry Hines where he did his own critique of uh, what he was unhappy about in the book. Uh, okay. And he said one thing, he said he was a bit hard on the mum, and if he rewrote it... He did it, say that, he did say that, it, yeah. If he rewrote it, he'd write it with a bit more empathy and sympathy for her situation, not make her quite such a horrible person as she comes across as. And then the second thing, which I thought was really interesting, actually, given our attempts at Barnsley accents, was he said he wouldn't write it phonetically as uh, Barnsley talk yes i read that as well and i and i found myself violently disagreeing with him i think he felt it was a bit of a distraction and um and a bit i don't know sort of yeah alienating for people who weren't from there as it were yeah 
But uh, yeah, I agree with you. He might be wrong, but I think I, I think, think he's it, right about the mother. Yeah, but the thing is, if Barry Hines isn't giving it a ten, and I sense he isn't, then I'm not either. <laughs> you don't know better than Barry. So now we get to the Q spec rating. This is this could get messy. I don't know. It's clear to me now. If I like the book and have given it a high artistic rating, I'm a little bit softer about mm. the Q-Spec rating when mm. perhaps I shouldn't be. And I think basically I realise I've now done, I gave James Herbert a four, Gwendolyn Riley a five. Yeah. I think I'm being a bit rough on this. But I think probably I can't give him anything more than a five. Yeah. Because, yes, it takes us on a great adventure. I think we both have used a visit to Hoyland to drag up a lot of thoughts about the miners' strike, about education, yeah. about what happens to kids in from various backgrounds, uh, about council development. It's really thrown up a lot of really interesting thoughts uh, by going to a place. Yeah. So on that score, you get points, don't you? But if I can't go to Billy Casper's house and do his news round. Yeah. If I can't do his news round thoroughly, I feel a bit disappointed by that. And he's not helped us with the dating either, has he? We yeah, well, no, go we got there. Well, yeah, we got there in we the got end. There. But, but, you know, through a, through a series of triangles. I think people would be interested to know that it's not 68 when it came out. It's, I think, not, it's not 1968. It's 1962, and the UK is a very different place in 1962 as it was in 1968. It had moved on a bit. So, in fact, yeah. in a funny kind of way, it's quite an old-fashioned Well, I wonder book. whether Hoyland was that different in 1968 from 1962. That's version, possibly true. Um, but, and maybe, um, that's, maybe there's, there's a bigger divide between... Yeah. Uh, London and Liverpool and everywhere else, as it were. Yeah, I mean David Hepworth, who writes about music a lot, is always banging on about you know we've got this vision of groovy swinging London in the late in the late sixties. If you went, you know, he grew up in Yorkshire. Yeah. If you went to any town in Yorkshire, in the, not much different to the early fifties. That's true. I grew um, up in Norfolk, and I think in in the seventies, and it was still the nineteen fifties. Yeah. I can't think of a justifiable reason to disagree with you uh, on the five. Oh, good. The only thing I would throw into the mix, and it, it doesn't really change the score, is is quite how potent the monastery wall location was yes in terms of the telegraph poles and the bench and yes. all that kind of stuff it was one of those the author sat here yes. kind of moments i'm with you but yeah i mean having experienced that two or three hours walking around hoyland and common going are you trying to find the you, snicket <laughs> snicket between the houses and me going god does i don't really care matter? about the snicket i need some chips I'm reliving that now and going, Always. yeah, Heinz, why could you not have been Heinz? Why could you not have given him a little bit more to chew on? <laughs> Would have made my life much easier. So, yes, I think a five. I think a five is, okay. is probably um, fair. The only thing is I'm I'm worried now. I might go six, but I'll tell you why. Because when you top that up, if you just give fives, we get to 29. Yeah. And we gave Gwendolyn Riley 29. And I want to give this 30. So I'm going to chink it up by one. Okay. So, so, All right. Because right. I think it's... I think it's a slightly point, better. Point. I think it's a point better. So I, don't know, I think it's interesting having done them together. You know, I think the uh, yeah. the the thing that again to go back to what Jarvis Cocker said about the specificity, making it more general. You say the same thing about cold water. It's a very narrow field of view in the book. Yeah, but as a consequence of which, it feels really universal. Yeah, yeah. And I think that absolutely the same with this book. So That's I, right. I kind of, I can see that they're in the same ballpark. If only they could set them in South London. <laughs> Save us all the bother. We've done the Ballad of Peckham Ryan. That's any coal mines it. in Tooting? Mm-hmm. Any coal mines in Tooting? <laughs> oh, no. No. One institution we ought to say thank you to is Barnsley Libraries. Absolutely. For treating us so well. Well, with a couple of idiots, well, one particular idiot goes up and goes, got any books on falconry? And... She looks at you like, okay, you're one of those people. It's a shame we didn't get that librarian's name. No, she was great. To give her a shout out for being so funny and helpful. She was funny and helpful. They are on Twitter at at Barnsley Libs. We might give them a shout out to that as well. And if you're ever in the Barnsley area and looking for a book, highly recommend the library at the Lightbox. At the Lightbox, and you know, a little bit of advice: don't go by. The uh, appearance of the ground floor. No. Because all the books are upstairs. <laughs> that was a bit shocking. Well, I just assume... They do Mon- need a sign on the door that says, all our books are upstairs. Well, ha- having worked with libraries a number of times, they do 
like to stress librarians that libraries aren't just about books. They are about a lot of other things as well. They're not just about books. So I think it might be a policy to remove the books from the entrance hall in order to get people to realise it's not just about books. Oh, you want a book from the library? Okay. How how old-fashioned. Now, we also need to welcome a new Patreon uh, supporter, Muggsy Spaniel. Hello there. Hello, Muggsy. Hi. He made, he made a rather, a, I'm not sure if it's a nice remark or rude remark. You, you put up some pictures of our last road trip. Well, if you pay £5 instead of £2 to yeah. support us on Patreon. You can join our Discord server. You join our Discord server. And then when we're out and about doing field trips, we post photos. Yeah. And we also are discussing sort of future book suggestions with yeah. people in it's there good. as it's, well. We're having a good chat in there. It's good, But anyway, it? you put a picture up of me in the city and uh, Muggsy Spaniel said, looking good for your age. Well, I think he's making a joke about the dating on the coffee house. <laughs> Do you know I didn't get that? Oh, uh, keep I'm, up, Lloyd. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> well done, Muggsy. One well to done, you. Muggsy. <laughs> One nil. And uh, our usual thank you in terms of music has to go out to Learning Music on the Free Music Archive. Yeah, for our little uh, Who provides our little theme tune, Sting, mm. our bassy loop, as we call it. We're going to keep saying it every time. Please go and check out the music there. That is all the thank yous, I think. I think that's all the thank yous. So now we're down into the Stig marketing territory. Well, Stig would like us to emphasise a couple of things. Obviously, he would obviously like to continue to emphasise the Patreon page. You've already talked about that. But uh, the other thing we'd obviously like to ask is if you you do listen to this on a podcast platform, particularly Apple, it would be great if you could rate us and and review us if you feel like it. Otherwise, just rate us. We do have quite a few ratings, all five star. Yes. So I know you haven't rated it because you never give anything five stars. Yes. Come on board and be one of the first people to give it a four. Yeah. Could do better. Yeah. Good. But could good. do better. And as I say, four, four is a very good mark. Very good mark. I, 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 I helped to make this podcast, and I wouldn't give it any more than a four. <laughs> so if you could share the love, that would be great. Yeah, and share on your social media platforms of yeah. choice. That um, Stig has a, uh, made a Facebook page for us, which you could go and like and yeah. share. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, we're at Curiously Spec. Curiously Spec. And uh, you could RT, as they say, our um, our podcasts into your feed and tell this so yeah. your friends are aware. That would be we're a lovely thing to do as the Closely Specific Book Club. But uh, yeah, if you could share us, give us a rating, you know, help us get the word out there, all would all be hugely appreciated. Yeah, and then we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Um, we're, uh, we're off to a um, strange town uh, out on the eastern part of the island okay. where a man is returning home from London to his brother's funeral. Gosh. And he suspects foul play. Wow. Join us in Scunthorpe.